Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we were created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve. Called to live, commanded to love, commissioned to serve. And what do we say here? We live, we love, we serve. Amen. Today, we're going to be looking at a few scriptures. And so um, I hope you have your standing shoes on. We are going to be in the NRSV version of, um, of the scriptures, but you can use whatever version that you have available. We are going to start in John chapter 13. Verses 36 through 38. John chapter 13, verses 36 through 38. And it reads as such. Simon Peter said to him, him being Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. We're going to move over to chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, He went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Drop down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed. And I want to read one more verse, and we are going to take this from the book of Matthew. Matthew 26, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so all, so said all the disciples. Let us pray. God, 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer. God, we thank you for the folk who are gathered here today. We thank you for their foul hearts ready to receive an impartation from you. Let us not miss it today, God. Be with us. Those who have ears, let them hear. We love you, God, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Peter said to him, even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. I'm going to make a statement. And by show of hands, I want you to let me know if you've ever made this statement or some version of the statement. And if you are joining us virtually, all you have to do is put that raised hand emoji in the chat and we know that you are participating with us. So if you've ever made this statement or some version of the statement, I want you to raise your hand. I would never do that. Whether you keep your hands up, keep your hands up, look around. It's about 90, by 98.3% of the folks in here. I would never do that. Whether you've said it to yourself, as you've looked around at your choices and options, they're like, I would never do that. Whether you were in conversation with an individual and you were trying to assure them that maybe you weren't like somebody else, I would never do that. Or perhaps you looked upon someone else's situation, saw the choices that they were making, didn't agree with the choices that they were making for their lives and said, I would never do that. Most of the people in the room, you can put your hands down. Thank you for being honest. I have come to believe that those words, I would never do that, are some of the most dangerous and arrogant words that we could ever speak. And here's why. Here's why. Because most often when we are using those words, we are using them based on untested assumptions. Can you say untested assumptions? Yes, yes, untested, meaning not never been testing, never been tested without proof and assumption, something you take to be certain or true without proof. An untested assumption is something that you take to be true, even though there is no proof or lived experience to back it up. And so we move in an untested assumption because we assume that we would never do whatever we think we wouldn't do. Let me give you a fun, easy example. How many of people have ever watched a horror or a scary movie? Yeah, yeah. And you watch the movie, right? And there's an axe murderer with chains and Susie runs into the movie and Susie is going towards the chains and the axe murderer. And you're like, no, no, Susie, go out the door. That's clearly marked exit. Do that. Don't do that. I would never do that. Why would Susie do that? Would you do that? I would never do that. Right? That's a fun. But the reality is you don't know unless you have been in a room with an axe murderer, with chainsaws, and ran to the exit, how do you know what you would do? You don't. And see, that's a fun example. But I believe that most of us live our lives with untested assumptions. 
where we make an assumption about what we do, even though we have actually never been in that circumstance. Because if you knew, you would simply say, I didn't do that. But you, you haven't been there, so you say, I would never do that. But you know what? I bet Peter never thought that he would betray Jesus. He probably would say, I'd never do that. I mean, he literally tells Jesus, I would never do that. And really, if you asked Peter who he thought he was in relationship to Jesus, Peter would probably say that he thought he was loyal to Jesus. Let's follow Peter's journey, right? Peter is a fisherman with his brother, Andrew. Jesus shows up and says, follow me. Peter says, bet. Mind you, he's not even Peter at that time. He is Simon. He said, Jesus says, follow me. He's like, cool. Jesus says, matter of fact, your name isn't even going to be Simon anymore. I'm going to call you Cephas, which means rock, which translates to Peter. Okay, cool. I'm following you. You're changing my name. Bet Peter was loyal. When Peter is in the boat with the disciples and Jesus is out on the water, Peter says, bid me to come. And because he wants to be where Jesus is, he gets out of the boat and he walks towards Jesus, loyal. When Jesus says, I am going to wash your feet, Peter says, you ain't washing my feet, Jesus. And Jesus says, this is the only way you can share in anything with me. So he says, fine, Jesus, wipe me down. Not just my feet, my whole body, right? And when he is in the garden about to be arrested, it is the same Simon Peter who takes out a sword and cuts off the high priest's slave's ear. Loyal. If you ask Peter, he probably thought he was loyal. But here's the thing. We all have a value system. And our value system is the set of standards, attitudes, practices, and beliefs that govern how we walk in the world. And even if you are unaware of what your value system is, it shows up in your actions. And even further than that, there's a difference between aspirational values and practiced values. See, an aspirational value is who you hope to be. But a practice value is the summation of your beliefs, your practices, and what you actually live. Let me give you an example. You may say that you value family. But if you prioritize everything but your family, you don't have a practiced value. You have an aspirational value. If you say that you value honest and in honesty and integrity, but at every turn you lying and showing people fake, fake versions of yourself, you do not have a practiced value. You have an aspirational value. But the problem is that most of us create a narrative in our head where we believe that the aspirational values are who we are. And so we think we are walking in the world a certain way. We think we are doing things a certain way. And so Peter, I am sure, probably thought he was loyal. But when I look at Peter, I would say that Peter was impulsive. Jesus comes, a strange man he don't know. Peter got a good job. It's believed he got a wife and the kids. And this strange man he don't know says, follow me. And he drops all the stuff and leaves his family and his vocation to follow some strange man around the country. Y'all like it's Jesus. He doesn't really know that like that, right? Impulsive. The same man changes his name and he's like, cool. I'm Cephas. I'm Simon Peter. 
impulsive. He gets on out the boat. We don't know if he can swim, float, or tread water. But he gets out in the boat, out of the boat because Jesus is there. Impulsive. He pulls out a sword and cuts off somebody's ear in, in the face of police and enforcement and folks who can arrest him. Impulsive. I'm sure that Peter thought that he was loyal. But when the rubber hit the road, Peter was impulsive. Um, if you are a singer, I am not, but I talked to some singers and they can verify this. <laughs> there is a thing known as vibrato. And vibrato and singing are the subtle and rapid pitch variations when you're singing. And it's generally a natural thing. But there is also something called false vibrato. And what false vibrato is, is when you are unable to actually do vibrato, you begin to pulsate your diaphragm, so it fakes the noises and the sounds that you can't actually make. We've seen it if we've been in church long enough. It's called the gospel jaw. You know what that is? Because the person is unable to actually create the vibrato. I'm, am I wrong? See, that's they laughing because am I wrong? They know. They shake their heads. It is, it's been verified by the praise team. Okay. False vibrato, but here is the, the problem with it. Your body memorizes the falsity of it. And so if you ever take vocal lessons, it is actually very difficult to undo because you actually believe that it is real. It is the real. So many of us operate in our lives like that false vibrato. We memorize things in our body in a particular way. We tell ourselves certain narratives in a particular way. And that is who we believe we are. And it is hard to undo. And this is the danger of untested assumptions. Can y'all say untested assumptions? Because we come from a place of operating as we think we are versus who we are showing up to be through our actions. And so we've memorized it and we start to believe that is who we truly are. Peter was like that false vibrato. But when the rubber hit the road, that loyalty did not hold up. Peter wasn't operating fully in truth. He was operating in a truth that was not tested. He had never before this point had the opportunity to deny or defend Jesus without Jesus being present. He had, been ne he had never been in the face of not having the protection of Jesus. He didn't know what it was like to see his friend, his Messiah, this man he dropped everything for, be arrested and beat and not know what to do. He had never been at that moment. And yet when Jesus, the Jesus, told him that you will deny me, he said, I will lay down my life for you, but I will not deny you. False vibrato. Because we all think we'll do better until the circumcised, the circumcised, stance rises up that shows us otherwise. Here Peter is. He is in the courtyard with people he don't even know. And he has the opportunity to defend Jesus. And instead, fear rises up. Ridicule rises up. 
And when you read it, see, I use John, the John um, version of the text because of what happens after. But when you read this story in the synoptic gospels, there are other nuances that occur that I'm just going to bring in to help elevate the story. But this is also why you should read all the different versions and let them stand alone. So you have a better understanding of what is happening. But here's what happens. When you read it in the synoptic gospels, there is an escalation that happens with Peter as he is asked about whether he knows Jesus. The first time they ask, do you know Jesus? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. The second time they ask, weren't you like, weren't you with him? He says, I do not know this man. And it is equivalent to an oath. And especially in the Matthew text, this is important because back in Matthew 10, Jesus told the disciples that part of discipleship was if you didn't, if you acknowledge me in front of others, I will acknowledge you in my, with my father in heaven. But if you deny me before others, I will deny you before my father in heaven. So here, at least if you read it in the Matthew text, Peter is literally breaking what it means to be a disciple, even though he was one of the disciples close. It was the one who Jesus loved and they'll never give him a name. Jesus loved him so much, but we all know his name. And then there's Simon Peter. That, that's, her, he, that's how close he was. I don't know this man. The third time they ask, he doesn't only say, I don't know this man. It says he curses them out. I told you, I don't know this blickety blick blick blah, 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 blah. man. The escalation. You ever been sitting in front of somebody? who you know is lying. <laughs> you present the information, the facts, the messages, a letter notarized by God. Yes, this did in fact happen. You know that they lying. They know that you know that they're lying and you present everything and they're like, I didn't do that. And you start, like, am I, am I crazy? Is something wrong with me? Because I know, like, how does someone just straight up, like, how do they deny that? And we're going to talk about that. But when someone is in a shame spiral, that is exactly what they will do. So here's Peter. Here's Peter. He's denying. He's denying. He's denying. I don't know him. He's caught up in the moment because he's not loyal. He is what? Impulsive. And it says the cock or the rooster crow three times. Peter remembers. And he goes out and he weeps bitterly. You ever find yourself smack dab in a situation you never thought you would be in? You ever make a decision and within minutes of doing it, you regret it, but you know you can't take it back? That is where Peter is. You have to, you have to put this in context because we deify Jesus, right, often. So I think when we do that, we remove the human emotion from Jesus. But you have to think about this. Judas had just betrayed Jesus. And even though Jesus is telling people things that they're going to do, there's a difference between knowing when you can tell, so I know they're going to do this. And when they actually do the thing, that's different. And so we are fresh off of, they were just in the garden. It is Judas who brings the Pharisees and the high priests and the officers in and points out Jesus and Jesus gets arrested right when Peter pulls out the sword. It is Judas. So Jesus has just gotten betrayed. 
by a friend. Because we got to remember, these are boys. They're not just, oh, Jesus and the disciples, and they're walking on water and two fishing. Nah, three years, they were rolling thick as thieves. These are Jesus's boys. And he just got betrayed. And here goes big Peter with his false vibrato who just told Jesus, I would never do this. I would lay down my life. And that's why Jesus is like, lay down my life. You can't even not deny me. So right after that, Peter then goes and does the thing that he scoffs at. Because that's what some of us do. We scoff at a thing. And then we go around and do the same exact thing. That is where Peter is. And he is sitting in that. He is sitting. Jesus is over here getting beat. And he is denying him. He don't got that sword out now. He don't got all that vibrato now. What he has is fear. This Jesus who saw me as more than a fisherman, I betrayed. This Jesus who gave me a new name, I betrayed. This Jesus who showed me about miracles, who I learned that if people just walked in my shadow, they would be healed. This Jesus, I betrayed. And he goes out and weeps bitterly. Now, mind you, Jesus doesn't see this. So what is that moment of crying about? What is that weeping about? We could say, oh, it's about Jesus. That moment was about Peter and his shame. It's the only time we see that Peter actually cries. Because if I'm a cry, you might cry when, when, when your friend's getting beat down, perhaps. You might cry when they arrest him, perhaps. You might cry when he gets crucified, perhaps. But the only time you cry is when you remember what you did. That moment is not about Jesus. That moment is about shame. And when we are in moments where we do something we are not proud of, there are usually two roads we go down. Now, some people just don't care about nothing and they don't apologize. We're not talking about those people. We're talking about people who generally feel something when they have done something wrong. You either go down the, sh the guilt path or you go down the shame path. Right. And there is a difference between guilt and shame, because what guilt says is I did something bad. I did something wrong. And guilt doesn't have to be a bad thing because you feel like you did something wrong. You kind of you're like, that doesn't feel good. And so then you begin to try to make amends in whatever way that looks like. You may apologize. You may have a conversation. You may go to therapy. You may decide I'm going to make do something different because my actions and my values are not aligning. And so guilt can be an okay emotion because it helps move you. Guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. And so what shame does is means that you can no longer separate who you are from the thing that you did. It is like you take the thing, you put it in your mouth, and you swallow it down and it becomes who you are. And so because you feel then like you are bad, you begin to act in ways that are destructive, not only to yourself, but to other people because you feel so bad. And you've seen it before, right? So one of the ways in which we do that is if you're in, someone lies. They lie. 
These are ways that you can tell that you might be in a shame spiral or that someone that you are um, having an experience with is in a shame spiral. You know, they lie. Because when you, if you've ever felt ashamed of something or shame, you feel like you're backed in the corner, right? You're backed all the way in the corner and there's pressure on you. And, you, and you're confronting whatever the thing is. And all you want to do is get out the corner. All you want to do is get that thing off of you. All you want to do is not feel what you are feeling. So what do you do? You come out the corner fighting the thing, whether it is a person or a situation. So you do things like lie. You do things like place blame on other people or their circumstance, right? Oh, oh, it, 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 it's the system that's set up against me. Or, oh, oh, well, what about the time you did A, B, or C? You made me do it. That's what, that's what shame does. It makes you give disingenuous apologies. I'm sorry that you feel that way. You blame because you cannot handle it or you hide. It says Peter went out and wept bitterly. Peter was in a shame spiral because you want to do anything that is going to take you from the discomfort of your actions. And so here we are out in the courtyard, us weeping, ashamed about what we did, blaming other people. Because it's not like Peter didn't maybe have some justifiable reasons. I mean, people are only dying behind following Jesus, right? So it's justifiable. You know, he, it, it, it's a fearful situation, right? So it, it doesn't mean that sometimes the choices we make aren't justifiable, but there's also opportunity to take responsibility and ownership for the choices you make in spite of that. But for many of us, this is where we live. We live in the shame for days, for months, for weeks, for years. And if you think that you are in a shame spiral and it is only, um, it is only in that space, no, it begins to be what you do and how you act, how you respond to people. And for many of us, our, our idea of being shamed, it makes us just continue to hide. It makes us put on facades. It, it, it raises that false vibrato. And we never want to do the work of confronting the truth of what we did. Because it's difficult. And it's painful. And it's hard. And so many of us just live in shame because we don't want to do the work. And see, what I know is that Peter didn't stay in that shame. You want to know how I know this? Nobody wants to know. We just want to end the sermon right here at shame. I mean, it's, this is, you know, this black church, we're supposed to talk back and forth to each other. Y'all just like, I mean, let, let us stay in shame then. Okay. <laughs> this is how we know. So it's not my term. Um, there is the apostle, pastor, deaconess, Brene Brown. She's none of those things. But Brene Brown is one of the four most experts on shame. She has this phenomenal book called Daring Greatly. And if you've never read it, you probably should because it is a great book. But in that book, Brene Brown talks about how you build up shame resilience. 
shame resilience. And what she says shame resilience is, is the ability to practice authenticity when we feel shame, to move through without compromising our values, and to come out on the other side with more courage, compassion, and connection. Let me read it for you again. Shame resilience is the ability to practice authenticity when we feel shame, to move through without compromising our values, and to come out on the other side with more courage, compassion, and connection. And even though Peter don't know Brene Brown, in looking at the rest of how Peter moves in the book of John, I believe that Peter goes through his own version of shame resilience. So let's look at it. The first part of shame resilience and what we want to do if we're, if we're in a space of shame is we practice authenticity when we feel shame. What that means is that we are willing to confront the truth. How do we generally do that? By asking ourselves, why? You ever ask yourself like, why, why, did, I, why did I do that? And really doing the work to think through why you did it. And there are lots of answers. I didn't think I was going to get caught. I didn't really weigh the consequences. Sometimes it's straight up, I wanted to do it. Because I, I wanted to. And for some of us, we may say, you know what? I really don't know why I did this. And if you're not sure, if you cannot articulate your why, then that's when you probably need to enlist some other support. Whether it's a friend who's going to tell you the truth about yourself, whether it's a therapist, whether it's somebody you need someone to help you identify why you're doing what you're doing. Because if you cannot identify your why, how can you ever say, I would never do that? How can you change your pattern? If you can't identify a pattern, there's no way for you to make a different choice because you don't know why you're doing what you're doing. So we have to be able to confront, why did I do this? And fully deal with that. You have to take a personal inventory. Go with me to John chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. And I think they're going to put it up on the screen if you can't get there quick enough. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. Early, this is after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together. What were they doing? running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. What did Peter do? He went into the tomb. So Jesus is resurrected. They don't know where his body is. They run. Peter runs towards Jesus, the locus of his shame, right? Because he has denied Jesus. And when the other disciple stops at the place of death and just looks in, what does Peter do? He goes into the tomb. He picks up the linen. He picks up the... See, there are some dead things that we are not willing to confront. We just want to look at it from the outside, but we don't want to go in. We don't want to touch them. We don't want to put them in our hands. We don't want to deal them. We don't want to smell the death. See, because there are many things that we are living in shame for that are actually dead. 
because they happened so long ago. The only reason they have life is because you continue to give them life because you refuse to deal with them. But Peter didn't do that. Peter goes in and he, he runs because what did I say? When you feel shame, you don't run, you do what? You hide. But this is not a man who is hiding. He is running towards his locus of shame to deal with it. That's how I know that perhaps Peter was practicing some shame resiliency. And then it says you have to move through without compromising your values. It makes no doggone sense to like be in a situation that you got yourself in. Maybe you lied about and then you keep lying. You were caught and you keep lying. Or you lost a job and you keep lying about why you lost. You like, you just keep doing the same thing, constantly compromising your values, but you want healing? But you want forgiveness? But you continue to align with values that are not showing up in practice? You can't do that. You have to make an adjustment. You have to make an adjustment. Let's look at John chapter 21, verses 4, and then we're going to move down to 7. So now Jesus has appeared to the disciples on a few separate occasions, right? But I'm never alone with Peter. So they're high. He appears to Mary Magdalene. It's like, go tell the disciples. And in some places it says, go tell the disciples and Simon Peter that I'm back. And then he, and he appears and Mary Magdalene goes and tells. And then he, they're all hiding in the house, scared for fear of the Jews. And then Jesus like, I guess, I don't know where he pops up. I don't know if he pops to the door. I don't know if he pops up from the, the, the I don't know where he comes from. But he, he pops up in the house with the doors locked. And they're like, oh, Jesus, it's you. And then I guess he disappears again. Then he comes again later. And then um, this is where um, uh, Doubting Thomas or Thomas puts his, his, um, his fingers through Jesus's wounds. So he shows up on a few different occasions over a course of some weeks. And then we're here in John 21, verse 4. So they're, they're out there fishing and they have caught nothing. And then it says in verse 4, just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. That disciple, this is verse seven, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, hey, Peter, it's, it's the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. Once again, Peter is running. He left everybody in a boat and he is running towards Jesus by himself, willing to confront what happened willing to have a conversation. So that it's clear that Peter had to have done some work because otherwise he'd be like, oh, it's Jesus, I'll be here. Y'all go ahead, bring me back a piece of fish. Cause right, Jesus was cooking, all right, on the, on the beach. And then while they are sitting there finishing their breakfast, Jesus turns over to Simon Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Lord, you know that I love you. 
And he says, and this is in verse 15 and 15 through 19. He says, you know, feed my lambs. Second time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said it to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. How many times did Jesus ask Peter if he loved him? Three. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? This moment is meant to be a redemptive moment for Peter. But you don't get redemption if you are not willing to face your shame. You don't get to just hop over. You don't get to just pass, go, and collect $200. You got to go through all the stops. You got to do the work. You have to, because if he wasn't willing to confront Jesus and have a conversation, that moment doesn't happen. That moment doesn't happen. He had to be just as insistent about his love for Jesus as he was about his denial of it. You have to be just as insistent about your healing as you are about the moment that has brought you shame. You have to work for that. And if you watch it, Peter escalates in the same way. Yes, I love you. I said I loved you. And then the last time he is like clutching his pearls, like, how could you say I don't love you? I mean, I mean, you could check the track, track record, but. And then Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. And I know what some of you are probably thinking because you may be thinking about your own circumstance and you're like, well, I'm never going to get the Peter and Jesus moment. The person won't talk to me. They won't deal with me. I already lost the job. I lost the moment. So what is the point? Here's the problem. The problem is that often when we want to self-correct, we are doing it because we want an intended outcome. So it's short-lived. All right, I'm about to lose my job, so now I'm going to start showing up to work so I can keep my job. You're not actually concerned about do, re reversing the thing. All right, I don't want to lose the relationship, so what I got to do, I got to buy flowers, I got to cook dinner, I got to go to therapy, what I need to do, just so I can get the intended outcome. But you need to be concerned about your healing regardless of what the outcome was. Because you are worth it. Aren't you worth being a better version of yourself no matter what happens? Because here's the thing. There is a scripture that says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his entire soul? You can gain the thing. You can get the person back. You can get the job back. You can get the business back and still be soulless. Still be the same. No change. No newness. Old wine and new skins. And what better off are you? Because you got what you wanted. And you're going to find yourself in a pattern of doing the same stupid thing again. Because we have not done the work to change. So you got it for now. But you'll lose it later. If you don't 
do the work. It is not about how it turns out. It is about you seeing yourself as worthy or valuable enough to be a better version of yourself. That is what it's about. It is about redemption. Redemption means that it's a trade. There's a trade of something for something else. It's something that can be saved, right? You don't try to save what you don't love. When you love something, you try to save it. I want you to remember that. You don't try to save what you don't love, right? You ever been, in, you know, something happened. You know, I mean, I don't really like that person, no way. It's fine. I'm going to that one up to the gang, right? You don't try to save what you don't love. So here we are. It doesn't matter if you ever get the conversation. It doesn't matter if you ever confront this because if you think this is about Peter's love of Jesus, you've missed it. Love shows up in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways in which it shows up is self-love. Self-love. You have to want to be better for yourself regardless of the outcome. You ever think about the things we said? We just said an identity statement and we say we're supposed to love beyond the what? The limits of our prejudices. And I, I bet you that most of the time when we think about that, we're thinking about other people. Biases. You ever thought that you need to love yourself above, uh, beyond the limits of your own prejudices about yourself? Your own biases about yourself? Your own negative narratives that you tell yourself? That you love to love yourself beyond the place that you think it is, you have the capacity to love yourself because maybe you've never seen love modeled. You ever think about it? It is not just out here. It is also in here. And self-love is looking at the action and testing it against our value system and changing behavior when we see it doesn't align. This is not about Peter's love of Jesus. This is about Peter's, Peter's love of himself. Let me tell you how I know. How I know. You want to know? Let me tell you, Samantha. When you break down this in Greek, when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Jesus is speaking about two types of love, agape love and phileo love. Phileo love is brotherly love. The way I love Mietta, the way I love Dr. Green, the way I love Serena, it is that brotherly love. Agape love is God's love. It is a love that loves you past your imperfections. It loves you past your flaws. It loves you past the mistakes you made. It loves, and it, it, so, so Jesus says, and this is how I know Peter didn't fully get it. Jesus says, do you love me? Not just as a brother, but do you have the love of God? And when Peter responds, Peter only ever responds as phileo love. He's like, yes, Jesus, I love you. And that's why I think Jesus keeps asking, no, you're, you're not getting it. Do you love me? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we, you know, we gonna go and, you know, make miracles and do, no, no, no. Do you love me? And Peter is hurt because Peter doesn't understand that what Jesus is saying is that you have to love in the way that God loves and not just others, but yourself. Hold on. Because I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the scripture. Matthew 22, verse 36 through 40 says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. 
And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as who? Yourself. So when he is asking, do you have the love of God? Not just for people, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. But do you have that same love for yourself? Can you love yourself to see past your imperfections? Can you love yourself to see past your flaws? Tend my sheep. Is not Peter part of Jesus' flock? So if he says, tend my sheep, is he talking to Peter? If he says, feed my sheep, is he talking to Peter? If he tells you to feed the sheep, is he talking to you too? If he says, tend to my sheep, is he talking to you too? Does the love extend outside of you, but you don't get a piece of it? No. This moment is about self-love. And Peter's ability to see that he has to love himself past the moment. That is how you break out of the shame. To know that you are still worthy and valuable in spite of. You made a mistake. Brush it off and move the heck on. But you don't just get to move on without the work. You got to do the work. How you, you have to be able to have compassionate conversation with yourself. Some of us talk so bad to ourselves. We would never talk to people out in the street the way we talk to ourselves. We're not, so we can't even confront ourselves because when we get to the moment where we even want to be honest with just ourselves, here comes the narratives. Here comes the thoughts. I'm bad. I can't believe I do this. I'm not worthy of love. Nobody should ever forgive me. I shouldn't get another chance. You can't even have a conversation with yourself. Because the lower version of yourself keeps, keeps getting in the way. You don't know how to have compassionate conversation with yourself. I read this, um, I actually read this quote on Instagram. My friend Jade had posted it from somebody else. Um, and I'm probably going to, I'm sorry if I butcher your name. Resma Minikim. Healing involves discomfort. But so does refusing to heal. And over time, refusing to heal is always more painful. It's going to hurt either way. My mom used to tell me it's going to take courage either way, right? And so I'm just, re it's going to hurt either way. It hurts to heal. It hurts to stay the same. But at least one hurt has a promise. At least one hurt has a future. At least one hurt is redemptive. So if it's going to hurt you either way, you might as well take the path of guilt, not shame. You might as well take the path of healing and not staying the same. Heal. Because you're worth it. And I'm going to keep pressing that. Because I know that 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 there is at least one person who is watching, that at least there is one person in this building who feels like they are not redeemable because of what they've done. And here's the other mistake that we make. Sometimes when we have done something to harm someone else, we think that forgiving ourselves somehow abdicates us. So that if we stay in the shame, we are proving that we know that what we did wasn't right. That don't, no, I disagree. You do that by making change, by redirecting, by realigning your values and doing the work to confront it, whatever it looks like, because you're worth it.
So here's what I want to do right now in this moment. If you are in a shame spiral, if you are right now, you have something on your mind that you feel is not redeemable, that you are having difficulty letting go and moving past. I want you to come right now. I want you to come. If you're up there, we will wait for you. If there is something that you've been trying to get past, get over. But every time you try, you just keep reminding yourself of how bad you feel, how you don't deserve it, how you're not worthy. Can you come? Because here's the thing, staying in that place, it does nothing for the other person and it does nothing for you. It tells you you can't move forward. It tells you that you're not great. It tells you you don't deserve love, but it is a lie. We are not just the summation of our mistakes. Pastor Mike says we are the dawn and the dark. That means we are the dark things we are the hard things, we are the difficult things, but we are the lovely things and the kind things and the joyful things too. You deserve to get to bask in that too. Now you don't do that without the work. So I'm not sitting here like there is some now magic pill that you just get to pass through this. But at least if we confront the shame today, if we look it in the face today, then we might be able to get to the redemption. You don't get the redemption if you can't move past the shame. You have to forgive yourself. There is no some mean God up there who is still holding you in condemnation for what you did. You are forgiven. Can you forgive yourself? Can you look at yourself in the mirror and say, I did a bad thing, but I am not bad. Can you separate yourself from the shame? Can you separate yourself from the hurt and pain because you believe that you are worthy of a better life? Don't you want the weight on your chest off? Don't you want to look with your head up high? So confront it. Speak it. It happens. They may never come back. You may never get that thing back. That is done. We are moving forward. We are leaving it here. You don't get to take it with you. You don't get to take it with you. You don't get to take it with you. You get to leave it right here today. And if it's not you, then I ask that you extend your hands and you pray for somebody. That you send them love and energy because this is hard. Because I know there's some people who are sitting who don't want to face it yet. And that's okay. And that's okay. But with their courage and their bravery, shouldn't we support that? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that it says that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So today we are trading it. We are trading our sorrow for joy. We are trading our mourning for dancing. 
We are trading the lower versions of ourselves for a higher version of ourselves. God, today in this space, we know that we are forgiven and we will begin to do the work to forgive ourselves. It happens. We feel bad about it. But God, we also want to live. We want to live the life we were created to live. We can't live the lives we were created to live walking with shame. We don't want to hide. We don't want to lash out on others and self-destruct and do nasty things to others because we are so afraid of confronting our truth. Let us go into the tomb like Peter did. Let us pick up the locust of our shame. Let us hold it in our hand and smell it. And then let's leave it there. God, we thank you that we know that at any moment you never leave us nor forsake us. You were with us in that moment and you are with us now. We thank you for a love that extends unconditionally to us. And even if we felt like it, we were never separated from you. Today we will leave it. Today we will face it. It is not a big, bad, scary thing hiding under the closet, under the bed that we don't need to look at. We're going to look at that thing because when we look at it, it gets smaller. And we thank you, God. We thank you for the support in this space for those, whether they're virtually here or in here present, God. Let people be around them to wrap them up. God, let you bring angels and support systems around them that help to carry them as they go through this. Let there be listening ears willing to hear them when they want to assert their truth. Let, they, let them listen with no judgment, but compassion as they share their journey. And let them feel free enough to speak the truth about whatever has occurred so that they can move past it. God, we thank you. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Stay there, stay there. Can we put that, um, can we put um, the thing on the, the screen, the affirmation? In thinking about this and praying about this, I wrote this affirmation for us. Our shame, resilience, personal affirmation. And you can screenshot it. You can email me if you need it. But this is what we, I want you to, even if you don't say it now, I want you to get it. And at least for the next week, once a day, say it out loud to yourself in the mirror. What it basically says is you name the effect or the consequence. It happened because I made a choice to do this. So A, B, or C happened because I made a choice to do this. I lost my job because I made a choice to be late. I lost my relationship because I chose to lie. I lost my business because I mishandled the money. Whatever the thing is, because then you get to own it. You accept, I did this because I made the choice to do this. And then you know what you say? I accept that. That's just the consequence. That's just life. You accept that that's what happened. Because the consequence is neither good or bad. It is neutral. We make choices. There are consequences that come along with that. Then you say, I did something that was wrong. It didn't align with who I want to be, but I am not wrong or bad. 
I can and will grow from this. And I choose to be better in the future because I am worthy of being the best version of myself that I can possibly be. You name it, you accept it, you tell yourself it is not who you are, and then you make the declaration that you are gonna be different because you still are here. You've got breath in your body. You have the opportunity to be different, to do something different. And if you love yourself, this is how you start that self-love. This is how you begin that journey. Accepting it, moving on, and doing something different. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.